which is relatively well known, is um, discusses why we don't say Hallel on Purim. A number of answers that are given, and one of them is that the Megillah itself is the Hallel. Now, whatever that means, and to whatever extent it means, this much is clear. And that is that whatever we're supposed to gain in the way of uh, praising HaKadosh Baruch Hu, appreciating and understanding HaKadosh Baruch Hu, comes through the Megillah. And if we get so busy uh, with our firm preparations, Shalchmanis and the Suda, all the other wonderful things, and we miss the message of the Megillah, then we are missing the essential Hallel of Purim. And as such, it behooves us to understand what is going on in the Megillah and the various aspects of it. So, when we reach the end, there's a beautiful, we finish reading the Megillah, we make the brachas, beautiful piyot that we sing, right? Shoshanas Yaakov has so many beautiful migunim. Yeah, Shoshanas Yaakov, there's a reason I'm picking this one, right? Now, personally, when I was growing up, we always enjoyed the Mujitsa one, which was had about 19 different things to it, you know, and then very lively up. So, uh, all kinds of beautiful Shabbos Yaakov. The reason I picked that one is because it would seem to be true to the Gemara Yerushalmi and the way it's brought down in Halacha, which is that one should say, Gemara tells us, and it's brought down, by the way, in the Torah, and it is brought down in Shulchan Aruch, and Sim and Tuf Reish Tzadi Sif Tezayin. He says, Tzarev Shayoimar Ara Haman Baruch Mordechai Arura Zeresh Brucha Esther Arurim Korushayim so that particular tune, and I, I think they sing in most shuls here, right? Make sure to add in that line. Right? You have to add in that part. It's brought down in Shulchan Aruch. It's brought down in the tour, brought down in Shulchan Aruch, without comment. Without comment, which I mean, which I'd like to stress, because there is no way that I can say what the exact meaning is over here, because there's no Mepharshim. Right? Likewise, uh, no one can say what I'm saying is wrong, because no one says anything. So I have a little free hand here. I search around for these opportunities. <laughs> I don't know if you notice. I always try to find something to talk about that nobody else does in the hope that this way no one can say, well, you know, you're wrong because this one says. No one says. I'm fine. Yeah. Uh, so that's it. You're supposed to say, Baruch Mordechai and Ara Haman, Brucha Esther, Arura Zeresh, and so everybody is more or less covered. Well, the major characters. We have Haman, we 
have Mordechai, we have Zeresh, we have Esther, and we have, of course, Harvona. You know, is one of the major characters that we like to focus on. That being the case, that being the case, I couldn't help but wonder, where's Ahasuerus? Where is Ahasuerus in this story? And lest we make the mistake of thinking that he's left out of the story because he's not too important, when the Gemara Megillah discusses what one has to do to be the obligation of reading the Megillah, asks the Mishnah in Tarek Pei's Megillah, Where does a person read in order to fulfill his obligation? Rabbi Meir says you have to read the whole thing. Rabbi Yehuda Aimer, Me'ish Yehudi. Right? When we introduce Mordechai. Ish Yehudi, And Rabbi Yehudi Aimer, Me'achad Varim When we introduce Haman. So explains the Taisus Yomte for us, just so we understand what the basis of this Machlekes is. Um, so, what's the reason here? Mark explains. The Tiktuv Esther Hamalko Mordechai Yehudi as Kol Tokef. Wrote down all the power. So, the first view, Rabbi Meir says, when we say all the power, the power of Achashverosh. And the one who says the Ish Yehudi, which is Rabbi Yehuda, he's obviously going from the power of Mordechai. And the last view, Rabbi Yehudi, who says that we start from meaning, when the dust clears, who is the most important character in the story? What is the point that we are focusing on from the point of view of which powerful individual, which, who's the star of the story? Who are we focusing on? Haman, Mordechai, or Achashverosh? It would seem, from Rabbi Meir's view, that the, the star of the show, if not one of the major focus, foci, yeah, of the entire story is Achashverosh. And yet, when we sing our Shoshana's Yaakov at the end, we've got Aro Haman and Baruch Mordechai, we've got Baruch Esther, Ruzeresh, and even Charavona Zachrelatov. Right? And of course, we add in the line, Baruchim Kod Sadikim, Arum Karushayim. But Achashverosh is not there. He's not in the Baruch side, he's not in the Aro side, he's not in the Zachrelatov side. How come Achashverosh, who would seem to be the star of the show, is not there? And there's another major contradiction or, or, or a difficulty when we approach Achashverosh's character in the story. Because the Gemara Megillah tells us that Achashverosh, in fact, hated the Jews more than Mordechai, uh, more than Haman. Yeah, he was having to drink before him. Yeah, he hated the Jews more than Haman. That's amazing when you consider the fact that Haman is the Amaleki. Right? He's the Amaleki. He's the person who is the Tsar Oyev. He's the person who is the total intensification of hatred of the Jewish people, whose entire 
being, as a nation, must be destroyed, wiped out, blotted out, because of the intense hatred. And yet the Gemara tells us that Achashverosh hated us even more than Haman did. And yet, he ain't in the Arura side, or the Arura side, I should say. The other thing that we know perfectly well is that Mordechai, actually, that Hashem's name does not appear any place in the Megillah. And so we're told, we can find him, of course, the Chazal tell us, whenever it says HaMelech, whenever it says HaMelech HaChashverosh, it's talking about HaChashverosh. Whenever it just says HaMelech, so then it's referring to Hashem. Meaning that in the story, Achashverosh actually acts as Akash Baruch Hu's alter ego. That means that he's either playing the role of God, or he is the most vicious, evil villain in the story, worse than Haman himself. And yet, when we finish the story and we sing the little song, we leave him out altogether. He's neither Baruch acting as Akash Baruch Hu's emissary, nor is he Arur, acting as the most vicious villain, which the Chazal tell us he is. So why is Achashverosh not mentioned at all in the story? So let's see if we can examine for a moment a contrast between Haman and Achashverosh. Haman hated us. And Achashverosh hated us even more. But perhaps we can use this as a prototype to define the difference between an anti-Semite and a Molech. What is the difference between a typical anti-Semite and a Molech? They both hate us. So the answer is, I think, from a quick reading of the story, that one thing becomes eminently clear. Achashverosh may have hated us more than Haman, but he was eminently practical. He understood how to look out for his own best interests. And that he was very good at. He was prepared to do anything to destroy us to a limit. Masha Enken Haman was prepared to do anything to destroy us without a limit. So here's Haman. He's the man who has it all. He's got money. He's got power. He's got family. He's got prestige. He's got everything. And he sees Mordechai won't bow down to him, and he sets himself on a course of self-destruction because he just can't handle the fact that there's a Jew around. And everything else he has is worthless. I mean, think about it for a moment. You've already signed the petition. They're all going to die. You've signed it. They're all going to be exterminated. Why do you have to build a gallows and get rid of this one Jew, Mordechai, who won't bow down to you? You've got a little patience. You're willing to risk it all. I, uh, there's one part of the story I never quite understood. Right? Mordechai, excuse me, Haman sees that Mordechai won't bow down. So he builds this giant gallows. But mom is giant. 50 hours tall. 50 armors tall. He wants to make sure that everyone sees it. He wants to counteract whatever spiritual power Mordechai has, perhaps, because it's there to represent the 50 levels of Bina and understanding, and Haman's going to be smarter than all of them, and he knows better, and I'll find whatever his motivation is. He's built this giant, giant gallows, and he's all set. And he can't even wait. 
He goes in the middle of the night to the king. He goes in the middle of the night. And he says to the king, what do I do? Well, I, 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 want, to, I, I want to kill uh, Mordechai, right? So he goes into him, and the king wants to honor someone, and it ends up it's Mordechai. Just think for a moment. Do you see there's a handwriting on the wall? Do you see that there's a problem going on? Do you see that Mordechai, if nothing else, from a political expediency point of view, Mordechai right now is the king's favor? Take down the gallows. Put it back up later. <laughs> Take it down. Why would you leave open a situation where Harvona could point out the window and say, hey, take a look at that gallows. Huh? Who put that up? Mordechai, come on. Oh, we. We play a hang there. Mordechai, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? You know? It would be just a, you know, take away the big posters for, you know, the We Hate Mordechai rally. You know what I'm saying? Just put it away. It doesn't pay. Take them out in a few weeks. Right, this is just a bad time. It's a bad time to try to push this point. Right? You gotta, you gotta, you know, have a certain sense of vision. But of course, Haman is from a Amalek, and a Amalek has no sense of vision. Amalek says, I'm going to destroy the Jews, and I don't care what the consequences are. That becomes an obsession. That becomes nothing else in my entire life other than beating them out. I don't care what it takes. Uh, isn't that the source? Where's the Malik? They jump into the Embatri Sacher. They jump into the burning water, knowing I'm going to get scalded from head to toe. I don't care. I'll cool it off for the next person. I want to destroy the Jews. Hit each Jew. Do so. I don't care. I'm a suicidal in my destructive tendencies. Whenever you see people who are suicidal in these destructive tendencies, that's no longer anti-Semitism. That's a mullet. Anti-Semites hate the Jews, and they want to destroy the Jews, but they see the writing on the wall. They understand when it's politically expedient not to. Not to. You know? My father, Rishon, used to tell me, he'd say, my mother would always tell me, you know what I mean? He's just a, they're all anti-Semitic. And I'd say, what are you talking about? They're wonderful people. They're wonderful people. No. And then as time went on, I started to say, you know, she was right. I've met so many people and so much hatred and so much stuff. The difference is that when it suits their purposes, they'll be your friend. And that's what we can do is to try to give them enough motivation to be our friend. That's fine. And Achazmerosh hates us with a hatred that's much more intense. But the man's smart. He's politically expedient. At what cost am I prepared to do battle with the Jews? Why should I? What am I going to stand to gain? Why would I turn against them? What's in it for me? Achashverosh makes the calculation that the 70 years are up, but he's terrified to use the kalim from the base of Mikdash, right? We all know that the Vim said it'd be out for 70 years, and he had his... Uh, Belshazzar had calculated the 70 years were up from when the Buchadnezzar ascended the throne and he used the Caleb, he used the vessels of the base of Migdash and was destroyed. And so Achashverosh made the 70 year count not from the destruction of the base of Migdash but from the original exile that took place, the one that brought Mordechai to, uh, to uh, Shushan. And uh, he was making a calculation now, and he felt, felt pretty sure, but he was terrified to use it. 
What if I'm wrong? Comes along Haman, and he offers him this whole explanation, the whole thing. And later on in the story, he gets him to want to destroy the Jews, to agree to destroy the Jews. But Achishverosh can't do it. He takes off his ring. He says, you sign it. I don't want to be directly linked. I want to try to maintain some political distance. It's interesting that Ramban gives a whole explanation at the beginning of Shmos about how um, the... uh, Although Paro wanted to destroy the Jews, he couldn't bring himself to actually order the actual killing of the people. Says the Ramban, the people wouldn't have stood for it. We're talking about Mitzrayim. Avnim hayinu leparo b'mitzrayim. Say all the mafarshim. Paro, an evil king. Mitzrayim, an evil country. And yet, they would not be able to stomach genocide. They wouldn't be able to stand back and watch innocent people slaughtered. They couldn't handle it. And yet, you know, Achishverosh says the same thing. Uh, okay, maybe these people will get killed, but I, I don't want to be involved. I don't want my name on it. That's why originally Pyro goes to the midwives and says, listen, you see the kid kill it, keep it on the slide. Let's not make a big speech about it. Let's not do a whole uh, statement. Let's do what needs to be done. Right? The Nazis, Yamach Right? They wanted to maintain some cover. They didn't want everyone to know what was going on. And at the end of the war, they wanted to try to cover it up. I want everyone to know. It's amazing to me that today there are people associated with white supremacists and neo-Nazi groups who seem to send two messages, you know, that we should, you know, destroy the Jews, but of course the Holocaust never happened. Well, I don't understand. If the Holocaust never happened, why is it so important to you that the Holocaust never happened? Because you understand it's a horrible, horrible thing. But it doesn't go that far away from your values. It doesn't go too far away from what you're espousing today. You want to see the Jews destroyed. So if you want to see the Jews destroyed, then why are you so troubled by the fact that it took place, almost took place? Because even though you're ready to espouse it philosophically, you know that nobody can handle the idea of this destruction of people, of innocent people in this way. So Achashverosh wasn't able to do it. And by the way, once he thought that it was politically expedient, even though he saw it, he agreed to have the the uh, document signed to wipe out all the Jews, as soon as he sensed it was politically expedient for him to, you know, to honor Mordechai, even though Mordechai is a death sentence, hang over him, no problem. Dress him up, put him on the horse, walk him around. It makes sense from that point of view. When he, when he thinks it serves his purpose, he'll play Haman against Mordechai. Even though, even though he hates the Jews as much as Haman does. We have that much in common. doesn't make a difference. When it suits our purposes, we'll take the other side. It, su- it suits my purposes now to go to the other side. No problem. I hate the Jews passionately, but not enough to endanger my own position. Masha Enken, what's Haman? Haman is Arur Haman. Arur Zeresh. These people are crazy. These people are suicide. There's no bribing them. There's no talking to them. There's no working with them. They have only one concept, that's total destruction. It's either going to be me or it's going to be you. But that's it. That's it. It's interesting. Perhaps Achashverosh is much more the archetypical um, anti-Semite. Maybe he's the one who is making sure we cover in Arurim Kor Rishayim. 
Bruchim called Tadikim, Arurim called Rishoyim. Make sure we get an Achishverev. We're not mentioning him special by name because there's nothing unique about him. He's just your average anti-Semite, of which there are too many. But make sure we get him in. We add in the extra line. So that's one approach. But you see, it doesn't, it doesn't go far enough. It's easy to say the difference between Haman and Achishverosh. We're not mentioning Achishverosh because he's just a typical anti-Semite. And when it suits the anti-Semite's purposes, he'll destroy us. And when it suits the anti-Semite's purposes, he'll protect us. When it suits his purposes, he'll make us the court Jew. Ferdinand and Isabella have no problem expelling the Jews, nor do they have any problem making the Barbanel their uh, finance minister. Suits their purposes. That philosophy is fine. Right? Until, uh, uh, until it serves my purposes, I'll ditch it in a second. That's something that a Malik is incapable of. Yeah? I can't answer only because a book came out recently. Um, uh, I know I forget the name. Uh, was it his willing executioners, wherein he posits that all of the Germans participated in the process. So, right. So he's saying at the end that they. I've heard it pointed out. It's interesting to say. I've heard it pointed out that. Hitler was selling the image of the blonde, blue-eyed German Aryan, but he wasn't. He wasn't even Austrian. He was short and dark and swarthy. He was obviously something else. So if you want to say that he was a Malik and everybody else, you know, were you know swept along, could be. Could be. Right. Yeah. Could be, could be. I mean, uh, goring, goring perhaps, and uh, you know, I mean, uh, I understand what you're saying. Could be, yeah. Because I'll tell us that when we reach the very end, so then Amalek and Yishmael are going to join together. So. Like I say, you know, those who are self-destructive, you have to win. And that's not something you find too often in history. People who are willing to blow themselves up for, you know, for no purpose. You understand? But for just, just in order to kill other people. You see, even the kamikazes, the Japanese, felt that it was a military target that they were going after in order to be able to, you know, bring honor, etc., etc. These people are out to just kill innocent people and destroy. So I can't say. You know what I'm saying? It's it's easy to to point the finger and say, well, this must be this and this must be that. But as we're going to see, part of the story of Purim is how difficult it is for us to point the finger. So I don't want to. I, I can speculate, but um, I mean, this much we do know about Yishmael. Yishmael's tremendous power, and for that matter, Amalek too, in a very sick, twisted way, is their ability to be most inefficient for what they believe. In other words, our you see. There's a slight difference here, and that is Yishmael were... What, what was Yishmael's attack against Yitzchak? He says, you had your bris milah when you were eight days old, and I had mine was 13, which means that 
I'm more willing to undergo pain and suffering for what I believe in. And you look at the political situation today, you can understand that argument. You know, and, and they have a power of prayer, Yishma'el, Hashem will listen to him, etc. You know, and he has this power of voice and all this other kind of stuff. Whereas a Malek is the exact antithesis of us, meaning they live someplace in the south of Israel. What were they doing in the middle of the Sinai Desert? I mean, they traveled hundreds of miles with one purpose in mind to try to destroy us. In other words, it was suicidal to the point of, of going all the way out of their way just to come and get us. Whereas, if, if all the Jews, for example, would say, we're going to leave Israel tomorrow, I don't, the Arabs, I don't think, would have a problem with that. You know, that's fine. In other words, there is at least some motivation for them. Amalek had no motivation. Haman, Haman already had the, the document signed. Everything was taken care of. You don't got to kill me. Just wait, I'll be dead. It doesn't make a difference. Suicide, I'll risk everything I have just to be able to destroy. So that's part of the, of the uh, contrast between an Achish Verosh and a Haman. But obviously there's a deeper level here. And that is that a Kodesh Baruch Hu is using Achish Verosh as his alter ego in the story. In other words, you see HaMelech, it, you know, it can be understood on two levels as as the king and the king of kings. Right? Now, it would be hard for us to understand the Kodesh Baruch Hu using Amalek or using Hama. Although, again, it's a, it's a, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a certain part of the plan there, but you wouldn't understand that Kodesh Baruch Hu would be dressing up in the Haman guise. So what's the difference? Well, there's one major difference, and that is that Achashverosh was a Melech. And there's a rule. Hashem uses kings in this world for his own purpose. Hashem is able to use a king. Everybody knows whenever you have it, there's a marshal. Once upon a time, there was a king. And then my son comes back from, from Chedid. That's his Rebbe's favorite line. You know, and then, the mad of a daimer, a melech. And then, a melech, a bas melech. And then, there's always a king. There's a king in the story. Because the king is the prototype for Kodesh Baruch Hu in this world. And therefore, the Mikhtam Eliyahu has a beautiful piece on this where he explains this at length. Because Baruch Hu uses kings to be able to accomplish his purpose. He puts ideas into their heads. He can turn them against us. He can have them work with us. He can control the hearts and minds of them. Therefore, says the, says of Desler, whenever Esther comes in and she's saying, please, Hamelech, please, Hamelech, please, Hamelech, and he's not, she's not talking to Achishverosh, she's talking to Hashem. Because she understands that, that Achishverosh, to a certain extent, is a puppet. His role is being played out. And that if we miss the fact that Achishverosh is completely, if you will, being controlled by a Kodesh Baruch Hu, dependent upon our actions, then we've missed the whole story. That's what the Gemara says, that's what Rabbi Meir meant when he said, we have to understand from the power of Achashverosh. Because Achashverosh is the one who is running the show, but acting on behalf of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the story. So to a certain extent, it doesn't matter how much he hates us. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants him to sign a good decree, he will. He will. He's there to play it out. It's interesting they tell the story with the... Uh, Caesar, according to some versions, it was Nero. Kodesh Baruch Hu wanted to destroy. 
He says the Jews are rebelling. So what does he do? Gemara Gittin says he takes a bow and arrow. He shoots an arrow in the direction of Yerushalayim. Flies in the direction of Yerushalayim. He turns the opposite direction, shoots, and the thing circles to Yerushalayim. He goes the other direction, circles Yerushalayim. He turns the opposite direction, there's a loop-de-loop towards Yerushalayim. He says, Hashem wants to destroy his base of Migdash, and he wants to pin it on me. No way. No way, I'm out of here. And he runs off, and he's Nagayim. And from him, eventually, is descended Rabbi Meir, who becomes the teacher of, of the Yehuda Nasi, the compiler of the Mishnah. Not me, he says. Let him find another sap. I'm not going. I refuse to be the vehicle through which the base of Mishnah is going to be destroyed. Then the Kodesh Baruch is going to hold me responsible. No way. So he'll find someone a little less savvy who, who won't notice. I was just speaking to somebody today. He's working in Yad Vashem to get affidavits uh, written by people of people who they know, you know, passed away in the Holocaust. And so this way he'll have signed documents of the names as opposed to just like we'll throw around numbers. And they have now 2.7 million names, affidavits of names on, uh, on record. And uh, he's compiling them. And he told me that he's had to on occasion debate various, uh, you know, uh, Holocaust deniers. So I said, but the Germans have records of the Einsatzgruppen which went in and sent back reports of how many Jews they destroyed. So he says, don't you understand? He says, so he, so he says they have a number of responses. One is, the group was obviously much too small to have destroyed so many Jews. He told me, parenthetically, he says, at the beginning of the debate, the first thing he says is, I wish my opponent was right. He says, you know, but, it's, but he says, you see, the, you know, the world won't comprehend the idea that a small group would be able to do so much disaster. That's because they, the small group that accomplishes it as much as a large group. The British one said, we have no friends, we have no enemies, oh, we, have, we have no allies, we have no enemies, we only have, uh, um, you know, what was it, expediency, another word, uh, you know what I mean, a national interest. No national interest, whatever our national interests are at this particular moment. So, if it serves that purpose to put out a Balfour Declaration, we will. If it serves that purpose to put out a white paper, we will. But there's nothing else there. But with all that, the British think that they're just playing it out. But of course, they're just a means to be able to affect a situation. Because Baruch Hu is in a position to control. So Esther says to Hashem, HaMelech, meaning Hashem, Achashverosh is going to act out whatever it is that you want. Now this is an important point because Amalek lacks this concept of Hamelech. Hamelech. Let's understand why that is. We know that Rashi says, right? So Baruch carries the kid on his shoulders and he says, you know, give me this, give me this. And then he says, anyone see my father? So he puts him down and the kid gets beaten, bitten by a dog. What's a dog? A dog is viewed as the most cow, the most, uh, the most, uh, imp- you know, uh, uh, shameful, embarrassed animal there is. The sniveling dog. Understand? One which has no, which you know, the dog which has no sense of uh, of respect. 
right? and all the various examples Chazal used for this, which I won't go into in a moment, but they're very different examples of what a dog is. But a dog, by definition, is not a leader. Can't be a melech. And it's interesting that uh, that's the um, uh, that's the comparison. And when Mashiach comes, says our leaders says the you know the, the leaders will be like a dog. Why is that? Because they keep turning around to see where the people are, to see what the people say. I mean, today that's how things work, right? Whenever there's a <laughs> whenever there's an issue, who do we turn to? The pollsters, and they'll make a decision. Do you think Clinton was telling the truth or lying? You didn't see the evidence. But nobody's going to say that. Everyone will give an opinion based on what they think. Congress will act. Do you think the sky is blue or not? You don't think it is? No problem. We'll take down, we'll take down another picture. We'll put up a different picture. What do you think? You think this is this or this is that? No problem. That, that's, not, that's not a melech. That's not, that's not the normal uh, way of a, of a leader. A leader who stands up and takes a position as opposed to taking a bunch of polls and, and whatever people think he should say, that's what he'll say. Whatever anyone thinks we should feel, we'll feel. Because there's a poll that way. We've taken a poll. That's a, that's a Malik, and the Kush Baruch is not going to play out through that kind of a role. So when we say, Haman and Baruch Mordechai, Ruha Esther, that's because those aren't vehicles that are being used like Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus is not even an issue. Ahasuerus, whoever he was and who he was, is irrelevant to the story. But these things are inherently Ara and Baruch. Which means that we have to speak for a moment about what is Bracha and what is Klala. What do we mean by blessed and what do we mean by cursed? The Dubna Magin, right at the beginning of his explanation, is it's a parish on Megillah. So he tells us that there are two different types of quotas. There are two different types of curses. There's a curse in absolute terms. Absolute terms. There's no rain. That's an absolute curse. There's no, no good side plague. There's no good side to any of these things. And then we read about a whole series of curses that are not really curses. This is an unbelievable concept. They're not really curses. They're backwards brachas. Right? In other words, you, um, the, the stranger who lives among you will rise to a position of power and will rule over you. Well, do you see that there's something wrong with this picture? It's not, it's not that something evil is happening. It's that the bracha was taken away from somebody else. You had it, and now somebody else has it. So the bracha is still there. It's just in the wrong place. It's backwards. All we have to do is turn it around and we'll straighten it out. He brings in Marshall. What would you expect the Dubamagi to do? He brings a Marshall to, there was a king, and the king goes out and, and makes this very, very mechubad, uh, very a beautiful, fancy outfit for his son, the prince. Fine silk, gorgeous. What does the kid do? He's not careful, gets it dirty, he's not careful, doesn't care. So the father takes it off and turns it inside out because the lining is a very simple, plain thing. Obviously, it's the lining. So that the kid will be embarrassed and realize that you have to take care of your clothes or you're not going to get them. Meantime, the king's brother comes by and he says, this is how you dress your kid. You can't afford to buy him anything nicer. That's, uh, times are hard, king. Says, of course, not. that's going to stand. 
It's this beautiful, beautiful thing, but I got it inside out. I have to be inside out because he has no idea how to take care of it. When he understands, I'll just flip it around. I don't even have to buy him a new outfit. I just have to take what he's wearing and turn it inside out. That's a whole different bracha and klala. There, the klala is the bracha. It's just flipped around. Achashverosh <coughs> is the means that was being used to turn the bracha into a klala. Meaning, Gemara tells us the following. That this is this is the prototypical Achashverosh approach. He's angry at his wife, and so his best friend and advisor, Haman, tells him to kill her, kills his own wife because of Haman. But then his real wife tells him, kill Haman, kills Haman. He killed his wife because of his best friend, and he killed his best friend because of his wife. It's not a problem. He doesn't see a contradiction in that. It's just being flipped around. The brach is a klola, and the klola is a brach, and whatever that you want it to be. Whoop. Achashverosh has that unbelievable ability to be able to change one into another. And that is the concept of Purim, which we say so much, and which we've discussed so much, which is the power of Nahapahu. The power of Nahapahu, which means that we have the ability to turn things inside out. Now, I remember Haman was looking for the right month, so he says, Adra is a wonderful month because it's Dugin. It's the fish. Why is fish such a good month? Because you know that a big fish will swallow up the little fish. They're powerful, you know? But of course, it doesn't always work that way. He didn't understand the full thing. And if you ever look at the mazel for Adra, it's not, it's not just two fish. Look at the way it's always drawn. It's a fish going around this way and another fish going around that way. It's a circle. Well, yin and yang kind of thing, if you will. Because it's flipping around. What you think is taking place is not really taking place. You don't know who the one is who's eating and who's the one who's being eaten. Everything is backwards, if you will. That's the very name of fish. Dog is backwards. Dalit Gimel is going backwards. The whole nature of the month of Adha is an Ahapafu. I saw it brought down that in Adha, the, uh, the weather is very changeable. Meaning, right? in English they say, March comes in like a lion, goes out like a lamb. Of course, it doesn't do that overnight. One day it's warm and beautiful. The next day it's freezing rain. The next day it's cold, it's windy, it's sunny, it's cloudy. You have no idea. The weather is constantly changing and everything is upside down and you have no way of predicting what tomorrow is going to be. Everything is switching constantly. That's an inherent power in this month. Haman figures, uh-huh, Adam must be a bad month for the Jews. Moshe Rabbeinu died. True. But as you know, today we had the yard site. Moshe Rabbeinu was born. It all depends what you're looking at. It's a cycle. Other, other can be seen as a terrible month or as a wonderful month. And the very fact that it can means that the definition of it was the definition of Achashverosh. It switches upside down. That's the bracha and the call that we have. It means that 
Achashverosh, acting on behalf of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is the means to turn the garment inside out. It means that he can look at the month and say, this is a bad month, and then a day later it can be a good month. It's a cold month or it's a warm month. It's sunny or it's cloudy. Achashverosh makes the flip. Achashverosh, what his, what his own personal intentions are, are much less relevant. Because Achashverosh Baruch Hu is the one who's going to be watching the scene. Shoshanas Yaakov, Because they see Tcheles Mordechai. So he comes out, you see him wearing the king's crown. <laughs> and he's got the shtemple, you know what They see Tcheles Mordechai? Because they look at Mordechai and they see the Tcheles. And what does the Tcheles show us? The Tcheles reminds us of the Yam, the Yam reminds us of the Shemayim, the Shemayim reminds us of the Kisayat Kavod. Suddenly I'm starting to look and see everything here was just being played out from up there. That, of course, led to a greater Kabbalah Satyra, right? It came of a Kibli. They re-accepted the Torah upon themselves because suddenly they took a look and they said, hey, hey, there's something else going on over here. It's not, it's not the scene that I thought was being played out. and It's not the tragedy that I thought was thinking. It's really very happy. You know, everything is, the strings are being pulled from upstairs. Here I'm worrying about Achashverosh. Achashverosh is not the story. And that's why even though Achashverosh is in charge at the beginning of the story, and Achashverosh is even more powerful at the end of the story, it doesn't make a difference. Because Achashverosh is only a means, he's not an end. You know, you read uh, all the different nevuas that are taking place with the Vuchanetza, all these people, Kshata, Batagula, and it's all taking place in the form of dreams. Yeah? Well, well, everybody's just dreaming what's taking place. It's not reality. What you're seeing is just not happening. Not in real sense. We, we have to understand when this thing finishes playing out, you look back, when we see the Kalis Mordechai and we can work our way back up, and we understand who really is in charge of the Baruch and the Kola, we'll understand that what we're looking at as a Klola is really a bracha. And by the way, how many times has this taken place? You know, where, where Yosef is gathering down all the wealth of the world to Mitzrayim, but of course Mitzrayim doesn't understand it, so that we'll take it out and see us Mitzrayim. How many times, you know, you're, 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 um, the, uh, the Jews were in the desert for 40 years, but of course the Canaanim needed that time to be able to rebuild their homes. They destroyed it when they first saw B'nai Israel coming out of Mitzrayim. So now they needed the time to rebuild it, fix the place up before we got there. You know, it, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. Somebody told me they had these two Arab workers in their house, and, um, and one of them said to the other, none of these fellows spoke Arabic, and one of them said to the other, they were doing whatever, he says, what are you doing such a good job for? He says, what are you worried about? It's going to be our apartment in 10 years. You see, you have the ability sometimes to look at something and see it from the exact opposite perspective. How if I we could do that? How if I we could look at all the infrastructure that's being built around the world and understand how it can all be turned to Klai Yisrael's advantage. It can all become a source of bracha for ourselves. But, unfortunately, when we have to hear it from the mouths of other people, 
You never know where it's going to be turned around and how it's going to be taking place. The circus. My mother went on a teal. My mother came to visit, so we went on a teal. She ended up uh, sitting down and resting while uh, the children ran around. It was a lot of fun for everybody. But uh, anyway, so we went to the Air Force Museum down in Beersheba so that we're having a chance to appreciate the brilliance of the uh, Israeli military mind and how they developed everything. And story after story was, well, this guy defected and brought a copy of his plane to us. This guy ran away from Syria and brought us this plane. This guy, we captured this one here. This one we caught over there. One second. So basically, if that hadn't happened, you guys would have been creamed, you know? Yeah, sure. But it just shows you how brilliant we are. That once we got it, we figured out what to do with it. That's great. That's terrific. And just how do you not see the hashkocha prat each time? You know, zoop, zoop. They bring you this plane, and you're the one who's sitting there playing around with it till you figure it out. So where'd you get the plane from? You don't understand. You know, you you take a look at, at something. Is this a bracha? Is this a klala? Where's it going for? What's it for? Where's it coming from? We're given opportunities to look at a klala, and if we just stop for a moment and see, is this a klala or is this a potential bracha? Is there a source here of greatness that's waiting for us that we could take advantage of? Take advantage of. And therefore, Akashverosh is just the means of switching that klala to a bracha. But let's get to our favorite character. Maybe there'll be a little concept here that'll help us. So we say, Ruchim ko tzadikim, arurim ko rishayim, v'gam charvona zachur Our old buddy charvona. Who, when Achashverosh is angry, says, hey look, Amun was building a giant gallows. And he just gives Achashverosh a chance to say, go out and hang Haman on it. So what's the reason that Harvona is Zohar Latov? Is it because he's a good guy? So that we should say, Baruch, I don't know how to go to the turn there. Right? But Baruch Harvona, Baruch Harvona. Put in another Aru or someplace. And then Aru or somebody. Right? Why isn't he Baruch? And if he's not a good guy, that we don't want to say Baruch, then the term we should be using is Arur. Did he do a great thing? He's getting remembered in a nice way, or did he not? So, number the first should bring down, the Medrash says, that in fact, Charvona had nothing to do with the story. The guy who did it was really Eliyahu. Eliyahu. I thought maybe that was the reason they took the Zachor Latov. Eliyahu Zachor Latov. In any event, it wasn't even the Charvona. It was just Eliyahu. Well, if it's just Eliyahu, so what do you need Charvona for? He had nothing to do with this. The Torah says, Eliyahu could have dressed up like almost anybody. Why did he decide to dress up like Charvona? It must be that there was something good about Charvona. There was a schutz that he had that Eliyahu chose him as a means to bring it about. And so something good came out because Charvona 
really wanted to do something good. Maybe he couldn't quite bring himself to do it. Why don't we say, After all, he's the one who saved us. Well, the answer is, of course, Achashverosh didn't want to do any good. He was manipulated into a situation. He was forced into a situation where he had no choice. He switched back and forth. He was just being used as a means to transform the bracha, the klala into a bracha. Not because he wanted to. Not because it was something he believed in. Right? He didn't affect the things in the end. He was just the puppet being used to play things out. So, Achashverosh, like I say, perhaps he becomes the gets a, a passing mention in Alurim Ka'a Rishayim. But basically, Achashverosh is almost a non-player here. Yeah, yeah, we're starting from the beginning of the story, the Mishnah tells us. Why? And the Alshech explains. Because whenever you see that a king is taking control, whenever you see that events are taking place, you have to understand that the story begins with Achashverosh, not with the rat, Haman. Not even with the good guy, Mordechai. The story begins with the person who HaKadosh Baruch Hu is using as the means to transform the Klola into Bracha. It's an amazing thing that we spend a tremendous amount of time arguing our own limitations, looking at all of the problems and the bad in society. I've said it more than once, you know, I, Years ago already, I stopped reading newspapers. What for? I haven't seen one good story in years. Every time you read the paper, things are miserable and things are terrible, and every time you read it, just get worse. I remember after the, uh, you know, the tefillah, Yom tefillah, the day when people, half a million people came together to daven. Some people came up to me and say, oh, did you see this horrible article? Did you see this pizza? I said, no. Well, let me send it to you. That's like, do me a favor. I don't need it. I'll get gone. <laughs> I need to read another horrible thing. What for? What for? To, t- to tell me that there are people out there who've got nasty things to say? I know that already. I've heard it before. I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed. And I'm sure there are plenty of professionals out there who are more than ready to write back and respond. And that's their job. I don't have to. You know, you can take a look. I've told the story before, but it's such a powerful story. You know, the, the, the laser silver goes to the DP camps after the war and he wants to make a wants to make a minion. And he's got nine men and this one man won't come and join. He says, I was in Auschwitz and I saw someone smuggle in a sitter and I saw how he would charge someone a half a day's rations to use the sitter for fifteen minutes. And if a person could do that, I don't want to be part of this religion. And Blavis Silver said, What are you looking at him for? Why don't you look at all the people who are willing to give up a half a day rations in order to use a sitter? Depends on your perspective. Do you want to look at the brach or do you want to look at the klala? What, what do you want to see? But remember that whatever you see could very well be nothing more than the garment turned inside out. Whoever you're looking at might just be a means to bring the bracha. You might not have, a, might not have the ability to do anything. People pointed out that, uh, you know, and it was pointed out by more than one, that as soon as Clinton began pressuring Israel, that's when this whole political uh, storm broke out for him. You know? Relationships. We can keep people busy. Hashem's very good at that. Hashem could decide it's politically expedient to do one thing or to do the other thing. Not a problem. You know, what we think, what we think is impossible 
would not be so impossible if we looked at all the good, all the bad as just a backwards good. And we just have to figure out not even how to recreate anything. Just flip it around. Just flip it around. It's not that hard to do if you look at it in the right light. <clears throat> and in our own lives, it's certainly true. I'm talking on a national level, right? But let's talk at a personal level. You know, a person can look at a whole set of problems, and I'm sure this has happened to us in our lives before, where we look at all of the problems in our life, and suddenly it just takes a situation to have it flip around. Flip around to a situation that what we thought was the worst, most horrible, terrible thing that happened, in fact, turned out to be an opportunity for, for growth and, and, uh, and everything else. We don't always see it. We don't always see it. We don't always look to see where the potential bracha in the kola is. We don't always look to understand and appreciate where there could be some good lurking behind. And we have to look sometimes very hard. I was giving a class on, on the subject of suffering, and this fellow comes up to me. He's not religious. And he says, okay, Rabbi. He says, all I know is the following. And my father had this, uh, was a very, very, you know, physical guy, and he was running around, and he was having a great time, and he was, you know, and he was into sports and all that kind of stuff. And he has some kind of disease, and he's deteriorating. Deteriorating. You know? And it's hard for him, because since, you know, uh, you know, since he got divorced, you know what I mean? And, uh, and I have to sit there and watch him as he tries and struggles to get better, and to, you know, and to, and to do things on his own. Why is this? I said, look, I don't know. But how can we divorce your mom? Was your mom divorced too? Well, he was too into being, you know, macho and physical and going out and having a good time that he never learned how to develop any relationships. Never learned how to develop any relationships. I said, what are, what's, ha- what's doing with him now that he's so weak and it's difficult for him? Well, he went to a support group. In fact, he met a very nice woman. They're dating now. And, I, you know, for the first time in his life, he's finally found, I, I, I would say, even real love. Hmm. Hmm, I said to him. Do you see, uh, you know, anything positive here that your father, if he hadn't started losing his connection to his physicality, would never have been able to move beyond himself and make a real relationship? He starts to nod and he says, what do I have to go through this? I said, well, do you find that you're more mature than your friends and that you have a different focus on life and that you take things and people more seriously? Yeah, yeah, I do. Now, it's hard sometimes to find the bracha in the club. It's hard sometimes to look at a situation and say this is the worst thing that ever happened and flips around like that. Like that, it flips around. How many times, you know, people people get stuck with things. I'll never forget the story of this fellow who he had bought this, he was supposed to be making some kind of jewelry and he bought this group of, some sort of polished rocks and he couldn't do anything with them. He couldn't do anything with them. I don't know if you remember this. So he went for a relatively small investment, he took these little rocks and he put them into boxes and he called them pet rocks. This was in America, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. A little sheet with instructions. You know, I could have it do tricks. I'm put it on the slope and it will roll over, you know what I mean? All kinds of great stuff. The guy became a millionaire. I'm sure when he first got the polished rocks, he was trying to figure out what he could possibly do with it. And I hardly, I, I, I doubt whether he looked at it and saw an opportunity for bracha. I'm sure not. Who expects it to? 
Who knows where it's going to go? Who knows who's going to be the means to flip it around? Not in our own life. Argue your limitations and they're yours. I can't do. I've tried and I've never been able to. I know that I can't. No, no, you don't know me already. I've never been able to. We're very good at arguing our limitations. I don't know why we, we're so intent on it, but we're great at it. You don't know. I can't. I've never been able to. It's never. It never works for me. You know, sometimes you're right. But there's a power in the month of Adar of an Ahapakus. It's in the weather. It's in the mazel. It's in the history. This month makes no sense. It's topsy-turvy. You don't know who's eating and who's being eaten. We have the power this month to change, to turn things around. Every limitation, every difficulty, and everything that we thought could never be can become in this month. Well, I've, it's happened to me more than once that I've had people, you know, who get drunk, poor, and, uh, and I end up holding them as they're crying to me how they want to make it in learning. They've never been able to make it in learning. They've always wanted to, and they've tried, and they wanted, and on and on and on. And suddenly, right after Purim, or maybe a day or two afterwards, they have to get to their hangover over, and then suddenly they find that it opened up. Something changed around. It switched around. There's a power. There's a power in this month to turn things around. And that's what Purim is all about. That's why we start from Achashverosh, because Achashverosh is nothing more than the means. It's like so many other things in our life. It's just the means. What we think is a klala might just be a reverse bracha. And if we understood that, then we understand the power we have to flip things around and to be able to do it in our own lives and hopefully for Klai Yisrael so that this will be the geula that's the introduction to the geula of Nisan. Amir Tashem.